This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, July 26th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is your public radio station for 37 years, KUAF 91.3, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. You know this part by heart now. An excessive heat warning for much of the Fort Smith Metro and a heat advisory for Northwest Arkansas today, both lasting until 8 tonight. Highs in Fort Smith this afternoon at 105, heat index readings of 110. In Northwest Arkansas, highs around 102, heat index values of 106. Please be careful. In our second half hour today, we'll meet Casey Burke, an artist whose work is on the cover of the latest issue of The Idol Class. She talks with us about her work, Glitch Art, and how she is on a mission to discuss melanoma after her diagnosis a year ago. That's later on the show. Right now, a Fayetteville veteran this past spring volunteered with the Ukraine Foreign Legion. He shared that experience with Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich, who brings us this story. 31-year-old Andrew Paul decided to join the Ukraine Foreign Legion within weeks after Russia launched an unprovoked military invasion in late February. Paul has plenty of military experience, enlisting in the Army National Guard after graduating high school. He served four years, first in Germany, then Afghanistan, as a member of the Army Infantry Ground Combat Force 11 Bravo. Well, we arrived at uh, Bagram Air Force Base, and from there we shipped out to FOB Kunduz, Fort Operations Base Kunduz, and that's where we spent the remainder of the, the tour. I would say infantry squad leader. Uh, we were light infantry, but also mechanized, meaning heavy uh, armored vehicles and troop transports. And uh, our primary mission was to train Afghan troops and ANA and ANP, Afghan National Army and Afghan National Police, and to be QRF for other units that are out on the uh, deployment, quick reaction force. While in Afghanistan, he fought with international forces to stave off the Taliban, an extremist religious group. He completed his military mission in 2012, returned to Fayetteville for a time, worked in Iceland as a photographer, traveled through South America, then Switzerland, where he began to develop a luxury clothing brand. That's when a Russian incursion into Ukraine caught his attention. I had been to Ukraine twice before uh, before the war, and uh, I fell in love with uh, the Ukrainian people and the way of life out there. And uh, when I was in Switzerland on the 24th of February, uh, I saw the invasion, which I had knew something was going on with the buildup of troops. A few days passed, me and my friend are talking about it, and uh, we knew that Zelensky needed help and the Ukrainian people needed help. And with my military training and uh, combat experience, I knew that going over there would be something that I, ha I had to do. Paul joined the Ukraine Foreign Legion, formed by President Volodymyr Zelensky for international citizens seeking to serve in the resistance against the Russian invasion. In Poland, there were a lot of Foreign Legion um, and Ukrainian military recruiters. They're like, we need all the assistance we can get. But Polish people were not allowed to go and fight as volunteers or otherwise. Um, I tried that route. It was very complicated, a lot of logistics, and it was just... Uh, too difficult. So I said, I'm just going to go directly into the war zone and I'm going to find a place to go from there. So when I arrived and I got into Kiev finally, and uh, I just started asking where foreign fighters can go. And I finally got pointed to this group of uh, foreign um, volunteers at this hotel downtown, which I won't disclose that location now, but I uh, went there and uh, Gave him my passport, showed him my DD Form 214, said, you have experience, and uh, I signed the contract that day. He furnished a copy of the contract for this report. The U.S. State Department warns that any Americans volunteering to aid Ukraine military forces do so at their own peril. Paul says he was not a combatant, nor compensated for time served. No, not at all. Um, it could have been an option if you joined a certain unit, but I was not a part of that, so there was no compensation for me being over there. The Ukraine military, however, does provide room and board to international contract volunteers who are responsible for bringing their own military gear. I saw quite a few Americans there. There was um, a lot of French soldiers and French foreign legionnaires. Um, there were even uh, Swedes, there were guys from Great Britain, a lot of British guys there, uh, former SAS and uh, 
guys like that. Some other guys from Eastern Europe, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, but not too many. It's mainly just kind of the Western countries, France, Britain, America, Scotland, um, those countries. At the beginning of the war, military weapons to fight the Russians were limited, Paul says. At the beginning, they either had the, the weapons, but they didn't have the ammunition, or they had the ammunition without the proper weapons. But now, um, in this time, NATO has shipped billions of dollars worth of better and higher uh, elevated equipment. Russian forces continue to target military installations and munitions sites across Ukraine and routinely launch long-range missile strikes on public schools, hospitals, churches, and apartment complexes in key cities, killing and injuring untold thousands of civilians. Ground forces publicly execute Ukraine civilians and detainees, all part of a massive Russian terror campaign. We were training uh, regular Ukrainian uh, troops uh, to do ambush tactics against Russian armor. So you have the linear ambush and things like that uh, because they didn't have the training we had with, you know, because we were in Afghanistan and uh, they were just a bunch of, a lot of them were young, very inexperienced in, the, in war. So really we were just training them on how to defeat the Russians with how Russians come in and how they operate, which is basically they, they target uh, they use long-range missiles and artillery, blow everything up they can. They come in with their tanks and uh, armored troops. And we were t basically training them how to be mobile and how to not just defend, but also to be on the offensive with the uh, Russian troops so they can push the Russians back and get out of the um, their territory. According to the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, more than 100 million Ukrainians have internally been displaced over the past five months, with 27 million more fleeing their homeland as refugees. Paul says he and other volunteer veterans do their best to provide aid. We were highly motivated, and we knew we were there to do a certain job, and um, really to use our experience um, for the benefit of the Ukrainian military and people. The current conflict in Ukraine traces back to 2014 when Russian Federation military forces began to seize key Ukraine territories. Then last November, nearly 100,000 Russian troops began to amass along the eastern border of Ukraine and Russia, what many considered to be only a military exercise until the bombings began in February. Putin's ultimate agenda is to conquer all of Ukraine, purge the democratic government, and gain control of the land, sea, resources, and people. Andrew Paul says that many foreign troops have left Ukraine after the military prevailed in pushing Russian forces from central and western parts of the country after receiving plentiful supplies and weapons from ally nations. So now the, uh, the Ukrainians are getting much more well-equipped, um, and they are trying to defend their territory in the east as much as possible and even be on the offensive and take what they can back. So it's, it's not a matter of uh, number of troops. It's a matter of logistics and being able to be mobile. The Russians are highly mobile and can supply themselves from Belarus or you know Crimea, somewhere like this, and the Ukrainians uh, don't really have very many vehicles to, especially armored vehicles, to go around and really be a mobile combat unit. Paul says he had a few close encounters while in the field during his time in Ukraine, but was never injured. One, uh, one that was pretty intense was we were supposed to go to a training mission, and um, the area we were going to was bombed uh, about 20 minutes before we arrived, and there are several casualties in that. Um, there are a few uh, artillery strikes that came close to our buildings, after three months in May, Paul returned to Northwest Arkansas. I'm very happy I went over there. I feel like I did contribute as much as I could have contributed. Obviously, there's always more that could have been done, um, and that can be a little bit, uh, there could be a little regret, but um, lives were safe, people were trained, and we got some civilians out of there, and, and uh, really it was an experience that uh, will be with me the rest of my life. Andrew Paul this summer is returning to Switzerland to carry on with business, but when asked for a final comment about his brief time serving with the Ukraine Foreign Legion, he said this. Slavo Krinje.
glory to Ukraine, a greeting used to acknowledge the heroes, he says, engaged in the fight for freedom. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Arkansas's governor says a legislative proposal to give public school teachers and staff a one-time bonus is throwing a curveball to school districts. Lawmakers last week voted to require school districts to provide bonuses of $5,000 to teachers, $2,500 to staff, using a half billion dollars in federal funding. That money from the American Rescue Plan's Elementary and Secondary Schools Emergency Relief Fund, or ESSER, had already been appropriated to the State Department of Education for schools to use mainly for improvements, hiring, and retention. Governor Asa Hutchinson said yesterday he and state education officials have heard from several school districts about the potential negative impacts of this proposal. We had the ARPA funds planned for roof, windows, HVAC, and staff hiring. Now that will have to change. A fourth district responded, we can do the bonuses but will be $1.9 million shy of what's needed to meet the amounts recommended by ALC. Finally, the 5th District responded, the district will need an additional $4.1 million from sources other than ESSER. Governor Asa Hutchinson made his comments at a meeting in Little Rock of the Arkansas Association of Educational Administrators. The group's executive director, Mike Hernandez, says he'd like to see some plan to provide higher teacher salaries to recruit and retain qualified educators. You know, other states around us are raising salaries and at the same time districts are struggling to recruit and retain staff along with other rates of pay that are going on across our state in other areas. And so, you know, for us, what we'd really like to see is, is folks come to the table, have a conversation about, you know, what is the best pass forward. Governor Hutchinson said the proposal by the Arkansas Legislative Council would get in the way of local decision-making when it comes to using the federal funds. The ALC proposal also requires districts to submit detailed spending plans to the committee for approval. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture Forestry Division with county responders continue to battle wildfires across Arkansas because of the high heat and the lack of rain. Monday, crews suppressed 10 wildfires involving 100 acres, including two in northwest and western Arkansas. As of late yesterday, crews were also working to control three wildfires on various Ozark and Washita counties. Burn bans have been declared in all but a half dozen counties. And COVID-19 cases in Arkansas experienced the largest one-day drop since February in the most recent 24 hours of testing. There are 1,147 fewer cases in the state. No new deaths from the virus were in yesterday's report, though hospitalizations did increase and are again above 400 in Arkansas. Um, We have one more uh, song for you. This is a song called I'll See You. The June performance of The Lunch Hour with Honey Collective is available now on KUAF's YouTube page. Don't miss this riveting performance by the five-piece collective who brings smooth and sophisticated improvisational and experimental jazz to the KUAF lobby. You can also watch their conversation with KUAF's Jasper Logan and Ethan Butler about making music, being from Arkansas, and moving to New York. That's all available now at KUAF.com or on KUAF's YouTube page. Just me and you for a while. I said the sun is shining, but you can't go. And stay tuned. Soon we'll be sharing last week's performance from Piracoca with you, too. She was our featured performer for the July lunch hour that took place in the lobby of the Carver Center for Public Radio. This is Ozarks at Large. How can you tell that this area is continuing to grow? The longer lines at your favorite store, the scarcity of housing, or maybe traffic. Traffic can be one of those go-to conversations, like the weather. After all, Saturday Night Live developed an entire recurring skit centered on talking about traffic. It's okay, Stuart. I was leaving anyway. I was going to take Coldwater Canyon, Riverside Drive, Hookalooey, get on Van Nuys, then hop on the 101 to Tarzana. Good, do it then. Just get on the 101 and skip all the exits and never come back. We're not going to mistake northwest Arkansas traffic for California. But as the region continues to grow, it is undeniable traffic is reflecting that growth. 
The city of Rogers is in the process of reducing commute times inside the city by investing in traffic signal optimization. Last week, we talked with John McCurdy, the director of community development for Rogers, about the plan. And I would never want anybody to think that this is going to make congestion go away on 8th Street or Walnut Street or New Hope or, or Hudson, any of the roads that we're doing this on. Um, it's just making them function a little bit more efficiently. The project is designed to synchronize traffic lights on the busiest downtown streets in Rogers. Think Walnut, 8th, Dixieland, Hudson. The optimization plan is completed on some of those streets and in progress on others. The lights are timed to work with the speed limit and reduce the number of times a motorist will have to stop. The system is connected to the GPS constellation, which has perfect time. McCurdy says the Rogers program uses the atomic clock. And, and the reason that that's significant is it, it used to be that you had to physically connect the signals in order to sequence them. And that either meant, you know, a, a, a copper wire, an optic fiber, or something like that. And that was subject to being broken or it's expensive. You have to bury it or, or run it down the poles. But now you don't have to do that anymore. You just put a cell receiver on the, on the signal or on the intersection, and then you're timing it down to the second all the way down the road. Of course, traffic doesn't always behave like we want, and that driver in front of you doesn't always drive intelligently. But John McCurdy says when most things are flowing correctly, this system can make a difference. He says it's already noticeable. I have noticed a difference, and it's a, it's a clear difference um, on, on the streets that we've completed. Um, to me, it's a pretty obvious difference. Um, it's not perfect, but in theory, um, so you, you have this road with a bunch of signals on it, um, and, and the engineer chooses the zero point where everything's going to come together, and, and then begins to time out from that location based on the speed limit. And so in theory, if I'm entering Rogers and I, I hit my first red light on 8th Street and I stop for that red light, once it turns green, I should be able to drive the speed limit all the way down 8th Street and it should be green light all the way. Um, is that actually going to happen? I don't know. If somebody slows down, if somebody's going too slow, if somebody turns left in front of you, if somebody merges, if there's a pedestrian, I mean, all kinds of things happen. That accordion effect, one incident or driving decision influencing another and so on, can have a real effect on the traffic light synchronization. But McCurdy says that system is designed to reset for motorists. You may have another red light. But then it resets everything. And, and once you go at that green, you should, you should have far more green lights than red lights once you have stopped once. Even the best system gets clogged when an accident or storm or special event traffic disrupts the flow of cars. And traffic managers are always at the mercy of cities or developments that were designed decades ago. And a city with a great traffic flow for several consecutive intersections can still experience the negative effect of an inefficient or frequently overwhelmed intersection further down the road. McCurdy says handling traffic efficiently, especially in a rapidly growing region, isn't easy. Where it works really, really well is a city like Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the, the major intersections are perfectly spaced and it's on a perfect grid and the entire grid can be coordinated. Um, we've got a pretty good grid in Rogers. We, we have the best you know, street grid of any of the towns in Northwest Arkansas just because of the way the original town was laid out. Now that all really falls apart as you go west, um, and it falls apart because of a couple of reasons. I-49 disrupts everything, and then we have two very large gated subdivisions that cross over county section lines and really disrupt the grid over there. But in the main part of, of Rogers, we have a pretty good grid, and so we can have pretty consistent timing, and the side streets are also on the same grid, so we can start working out from point zero and, and establish a pretty good flow. For a baseball player, there are statistics to track how a season is going. An accountant has a balance sheet. How can a city make sure efforts to keep traffic flowing efficiently are working? Oh, gosh, Kyle. I, you know, again, it's always going to be congested. Sure. There's always going to be rush hour. There's always going to be conflicts. There's always going to be a wreck somewhere. Yeah, um, if, if, <laughs> if we get fewer complaints, then it's probably working pretty good. Um, and then, you know, just the idea that there's so much more to a system of streets functioning well than, than signal timing. Um, you know, we've got to create more and more alternate routes. Um, we, we have to continue to fill in our grid where we have missing pieces. 
I mean, one of the best things that, that I think anybody can do when they're trying to make traffic work better in a city is to provide alternate routes. Um, and that wasn't really in favor in the 70s and the 80s. Um, and, and we're suffering from that. We've got a lot of really major roads in, in West Rogers that just curve and, and you know, they just kind of wander their way all over the place. Um, and, and I guess there's a certain aesthetic to that that, that some people like, but man, it, it just doesn't work very well. And so trying to tap into that to provide alternates, if, there's, if there is a, let's say there is a wreck somewhere, um, that people can seek other routes to get from here to there without just clogging everything up. Um, and we've experienced, everybody's experienced that on freeways and interstates. I mean, you have a major issue on an interstate and you may be stuck in a line for hours um, because there's nowhere, you know, nowhere to go, potentially. Um, and, and one of the things that makes uh, downtown Rogers is, is certainly busy and congested, but it's not nearly as bad as it could be if, if it weren't for the fact that the locals know how to get around all that. Um, most of the people that, that just really have been here for a while and know how to get around, a lot of people avoid some of the busier streets because they don't have to go there. And thinking beyond Rogers, an often used statistic when discussing growth throughout northwest Arkansas is that an average of 30 new people a day are in the region. Talk about that every day. We had a meeting about that this morning. If there are indeed an average of 30 new people a day arriving in northwest Arkansas, that means some number of new cars rolling onto area streets and highways every day. I asked John McCurdy if that rise in cars and people is a topic of frequent conversation both internally with his colleagues in Rogers and externally with officials from other cities in the area. Certainly we have that interest city, but then within the Northwest Arkansas Regional Planning Commission, we're talking about these things. You know, I think one of the smartest things that has happened lately, just dealing with the, you know, transportation in Northwest Arkansas was an agreement by the four cities along, well, all the cities along Highway 112, which is about to be upgraded by RDOT, that we weren't going to put any traffic signals anywhere on 112. Every, every major intersection on 112 will be a roundabout. Um, and I, and I, I get it that people are stressed out about roundabouts. A lot of people don't like them, et cetera. But the, the math is really clear on this. They're much safer. Um, the, the reduction in serious injuries is in the 90 percents. Um, they, they flow way better they self-heal if there's an issue. I mean, they'll get clogged up, but the, getting them unclogged is much simpler than, than when an intersection goes bad. And so keeping 112 free is a good thing. Um, I'm pushing regionally for 265 to follow suit. Now we already have some signals on 265 that can be converted, but if we can keep 265 and 112 relatively free flowing, 71B is a lost cause in terms of you know, efficiently getting from here to there. And then we have I-49, which flows like an interstate. That gives us three pretty good north-south corridors to keep people moving. And then I think it's up to the individual cities to deal with the east-west connections. Um, that's a big deal. The other big deal is with the growth, our, in my opinion, I think most people share this opinion. I really don't think it's up to debate. Our number one challenge in northwest Arkansas is housing. And solving the housing problem, the way we solve the housing problem is going to directly impact congestion. If we solve housing by densifying housing where people live, where people work and where they go to school and where they, where they play so that they don't have to travel so many vehicle miles just to live, then that helps immensely with congestion. If, on the other hand, we solve the housing problem by pushing housing out into the counties and the surrounding areas, then it's just going to flood our streets with, with cars. Um, and, and we're not, I mean, 30 people a day, I mean, do the math. I mean, we're, we're looking at Rogers, Arkansas being 100,000, going from 70,000 to 100,000 people in the next couple of decades. That's a significant increase. We met with John McCurdy, the Director for Community Development in Rogers, in his office at City Hall in downtown Rogers, last week. Damn this traffic jam How I hate to be late It hurts my motor to go so slow Damn this traffic jam Time I get home my supper will be cold Damn this traffic jam 
Well, I left my job about five o'clock. It took 15 minutes to go three blocks. Just in time to stand in line with the freeway looking like a parking lot. Damn this traffic jam. How I hate to be late. It hurts my motor. The deadline to have a yard sale on the map, literally, as part of the Eureka Springs Yards and Yards of Yard Sales weekend, is tomorrow. Sale takes place August 4th and 5th all over Eureka. More about all of the yard sales at EurekaSpringsChamber.com. A discussion of what divides us and what we have in common from Pulitzer Prize-winning writer Isabel Wilkerson is scheduled for tomorrow night at the Clinton Presidential Center Great Hall in Little Rock. The program will include opening remarks from President Clinton. The bad news, in-person attendance already at capacity. Good news, the evening will be streamed for free. You do need to register to watch at ClintonPresidentialCenter.org. Isabel Wilkerson is the author of The Warmth of Other Sons and Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. A native of Washington, D.C., and a daughter of the Great Migration, the mass movement that she would later write about, she won the Pulitzer Prize for feature writing in 1994 as Chicago Bureau Chief of the New York Times, making her the first African-American woman to win a Pulitzer Prize in journalism. Tomorrow night's talk will start at 6 and is presented by the Clinton School of Public Service at the University of Arkansas, Clinton Foundation, and Clinton Presidential Library. It's part of the Compurus Lecture Series. The conversation regarding teacher raises continues. Many educators across the state are asking legislators to include teacher raises as part of next month's special session. Lawmaker consensus appears to favor tax cuts in conjunction with a record surplus, but not teacher raises. This week, Roby Brock with our partner Talk Business and Politics and John Brummett, political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, talk about what Roby calls the epic debate about teacher pay. Well, sometimes you just have to simplify amid all the maneuvering. And uh, the uh, here it is. Uh, advocacy groups rural educators, uh, state associations, political advocacy groups, the Democratic Party minority and the legislature are, are, are consolidated and affirmed in that some of this $1.6 billion surplus should start teacher raises, significant teacher raises because we're losing teachers and the surrounding states are getting ahead of us. Uh, and our teachers are not sufficiently rewarded generally and specifically not in Arkansas uh, and specifically after what they have endured in recent years. And the Republican-led state legislature doesn't want to do it. They could do it just as easily as they are cutting income tax rates with this surplus, but they don't want to do it. That's the simple version. They say well, we need to do an adequacy study. We do adequacy studies uh, every biennium, if not every year, and they are a continuing level calculation of how to continue providing what we define as an adequate education. They never amount to much, and they're not. this is a separate issue that has to do with a significant upgrade in teacher pay, and they're, and they're saying we can't do that because we've got to study later uh, that it'll be adequate probably to give teachers less than that. I guess that's what they're saying. The two things don't uh, don't go together. But the legislature thought last week, uh, the legislative council led by, uh, in this case, uh, largely uh, uh, Dismang and Hickey, they thought they, had, they did a slick maneuver. They, they, they researched this federal COVID relief money for the schools and they said, look here, you could have used, it says here in this paragraph, you could have used this uh, for a teacher uh, retention uh, during during the uh, during the COVID. You 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 could have. You got all this money that we passed through from the federal government. So uh, we're going to. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to encourage you. We're going to take that money back uh, in a way from the way it's uh, authorized, and we're going to encourage you to give raises to your teachers. Uh, and, and we're going to put the onus on you. And if you and we're going to basically say you if you do it, you're doing it only under duress because we're making you or if the teachers get nothing, uh, it's going to be your fault. I thought that was really slick, but I was impressed with the number of people around the state who just saw through it. This was a token ploy, a political power play. It was uh, you mess with us. You try to tell us how to spend this, uh, uh, how to spend this on you. You get uppity out there in the hinterlands. This is what we'll do to you. 
that, that's the way I read it. And they think they're so clever, but all you got to do is connect some very large dots and realize this is just sort of a token few thousand that you might get uh, to, to uh, try to get you to pipe down and learn your lesson, not to be so uppity. That's how I see it. And, uh, and, and that's where we are. So there'll be a few thousand dollars in bonuses going to some teachers. Raises. Raises are better than bonuses, Roby. Did you know that? I mean, raise, raises. I've continue. experienced that over the years, that that is yeah. definitely better. So Yeah. Uh, raises? Well, they're going to get to it. Okay. They're going to get to it. Uh, their priority is cutting income tax rates, not teacher salaries. Now, that's not an indictment. You'll find a lot of people in the state, taxpayers who aren't teachers, who say, yeah, you got an extra $1.6 billion. Give me some, some of it back. Okay. But, but let's not call it what it isn't. Let's not call this uh, little token bonus scheme a significant, uh, a significant move toward the real problem. And we do have a problem. When you're, when you're paying less for teachers uh, uh, than Mississippi and Oklahoma and Missouri and Louisiana and Texas, on average and in minimum pay, you're the behindest of the behind. And our teachers in Arkansas deserve better than that. And, uh, and they're not getting it from the surplus, even though they and advocacy groups have nobly worked to make the case for it. John Brummett is a political columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and you can read his work at ArkansasOnline.com. There is much more from the conversation with Roby Brock at TalkBusiness.net. The 2022 Roots Festival is August 25th through the 27th, featuring more than 25 musical artists in the main music hall at Fayetteville Public Library with the Wood Brothers, Molly Tuttle, and Golden Highway, and Joe Purdy on Thursday, plus late-night stage performances at George's Majestic Lounge, Maxine's, and Roots HQ. For a full lineup of this year's performers and for tickets, FayettevilleRoots.org. This is Ozarks at Large. The cover of the latest issue of The Idol Class is a vibrant mix of colors that seems to contain more the longer it's examined. It's art from Casey Burke, who professionally uses the name Print Girl, since she used to work at a print shop and a certain customer would ask for her by that nickname. The issue was also designed by Casey. Last week, we invited her and the editor and publisher of The Idol Class, Cody Ford, to come to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. I asked Casey how long she'd been creating art. I used to draw very weird sketches in a, in a sketchbook, and I've, I've always been creating every day, and I'm 32 years old, and I, I still have to create. It's just, it makes me sane. And I think it's fair to say your creativity, your work, can take many different forms. Sure, I have uh, different styles, for sure. Um, I moved to California three years ago and was living in East LA and kind of got introduced to this style called glitch art, where you see a lot of data moshing, um, kind of what happens whenever like you hit the TV or something and then it like does this weird like effect, like glitchy effect, that's what data moshing is. And a lot of pixelation and glitches. And I, at the time, was doing a lot of traditional oil painting um, but I thought, wouldn't it be cool to kind of mix the two styles together? Um, and cause you don't really see glitch art on like a traditional oil painting canvas. So that's kind of where my style came from. I want to ask you about pixelated art because sure. there's, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a series, but there's this set of work that you've done that's mm -hmm. kind of about the internet and yes. how it can be used to what um, exploit women yes. or and and I it's it's an arresting set because it it's art that catches your attention but then really has to make you think about what you're looking at and the story behind it right I was really inspired by the internet and how people communicate on the digital format and sliding into DMs and just the whole the whole internet. Um, let's say, how do I say this? Environment. Environment. There you go. I am really also interested in censorship and what that means. And, you know, I tend to paint a lot of women in 
particular poses, but it's pixelated. So what does that mean for censorship? And I'm definitely interested in pushing the boundaries of that. And, you know, does it make it inappropriate if it's pixelated? I don't know. I really want to get a conversation going about that. Have there been conversations that have started? Absolutely. Yes, there have been lots of angry conversations. I've had uh, my works kicked out of shows last minute. Um, Particularly, I think maybe it's the area of, you know, I I moved to Arkansas and um, there's a lot of people, very conservative people here that and I think they got upset over some pieces. But that in itself asks the question, like, can we censor art? Is it okay to censor art? I think it's important to mention that these pixelated images are as if pixelated and you can't. There's far more, I guess, suggested than actually depicted. Right, right. It kind of leaves it up to your imagination. You know, what you see, if you see kind of something inappropriate, maybe that's you. (laughs) So... But yeah, kind of the opposite of being asked to take something out of a gallery is having your work on the cover of a magazine yes. that's everywhere. What's that like? The Idol Class magazine was so very nice to me and so very kind to put my art on the cover. Um, it is my first magazine cover, and I'm really, really proud of that and very grateful to, to, to have the opportunity and work with Idol Class. Speaking of Idol Class, let's bring in Cody Ford. Cody? How did this um, connection happen? Well, uh, I've followed Casey on Instagram for a, a couple of years now, and um, you know, always been a fan. And she was on our list last year when myself and the editor at the time were just brainstorming potential cover artists in the future. And then uh, you know, we just connected earlier this year, and then she won a Black Apple Award for favorite artist. Which I was like, well, we got to ride this high. Let's, you know, get her the cover on the next one. Black Apple's, of course, sponsored. Yes, by the, the Black Idol Apple class. Awards that uh, you know the Idol Class hosts. Uh, it's back annually again. You know, after taking a couple years off, but yeah. So Casey got to come up there and you know, I, collector award that we got, and uh, yeah. So I, I just think it's really cool, and I, I, I censored her too. <laughs> so it's true. <laughs> it is true. Um, Seriously, that, no. Ish. Well, kind of. Ish. Okay. Well, uh, I don't blame I, you though. I, I had her send over a few options for covers, and one of them, uh, one of one of the more suggestive images, which I really love. It was my favorite of all of them, and so I started sending it around to like people who work with us. I was like, "So, what do you guys think?" And everybody, I would say, it was sort of split between the one that we went with and then with that one. And so I started the people who liked the one that I also liked. Was like, what does it look like? Because it wasn't the full image; like it, mm-hmm. it was cropped. But you know, p- people figured it out quickly and I was like well you know like we do just it's like she said it's a conservative state and we put this out for free in a lot of places so I erred on the side of caution we we did maybe slip the image in there tucked away in there but you know it didn't make the cover you mentioned in in the art in the magazine the idol class and it's the knowledge issue by the way yes Yeah. yeah the knowledge you talk about being an artist with cancer let me first ask what that is like to talk about or to write about or to share. So last year, exactly a year ago, I was diagnosed with stage four melanoma. And although it's been a year, so much has happened. Um, it's the hardest I've ever fought. Um, but I've kind of made it a mission to spread awareness of melanoma and what it means to have stage four melanoma and what it means to go through radiation and immunotherapy and chemotherapy which I've done all three, and I'm still very much fighting to, to beat this. Um, but I've really made it a mission to talk about it and be vulnerable with, you know, on Instagram, TikTok, and also connect with other melanoma survivors. Um, so, yeah, that's been a really important part of, of having melanoma. Well, let's talk, if you don't mind, a little bit more. Um, how did you dis- how was it discovered? I had a small growth on my lower left back and initially went into a dermatologist to hopefully get it removed. At the time, three doctors looked at it. They didn't see the need to remove it. So me not having great insurance at the time and not 
unlimited funds. I didn't have it removed. Eight months later, it grew to be about nine millimeters. Went back into the derm and they finally biopsied it and stage three melanoma. By that time, it was an eight month delayed diagnosis, so it had spread to my lymph nodes. Has this influenced your art at all? I mean, absolutely, yeah. I mean, even before my cancer diagnosis, I always have said art saves my life. It saves my life with depression, anxiety, um, and gets me through very, very difficult moments. Um, so yeah, it, getting diagnosed was definitely inspired, inspiring. Um, and um, one of the paintings I did, um, it was right after surgery, I did like a bird's eye view of just everything going on with the IVs. And so that really helped me get through that moment. And, you know, I, I'm not as productive as I used to be because, you know, I'm constantly going to doctor's appointments. I don't feel great a lot of days, um, but I still utilize art every day of my life. Casey Burke's art can be seen at printgirl.com. That's spelled G-U-R-L, Print Girl. The latest issue of the Idol Class, the knowledge issue, can be found all around Northwest Arkansas. Both Casey and Idol Class publisher Cody Ford will be at the Knowledge Issue Party taking place at Art Collective Gallery on South 1st Street in Rogers Friday night from 6 until 8.30. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Packrat Outdoor Center, a small business family-owned in Fayetteville since 1973. A recent winner of the Outdoor Retailer Inspiration Award, Packrat was recognized for organizing stewardship programs and serving as a model for responsible business practices. More information at packratoc.com. This is Ozarks at Large with me in the Anthony and Susan My News Studios, Catherine Charles. Welcome back. Hey. Um, I met my granddaughter's boyfriend the other day, oh. and one of the first questions I asked him was, do you barbecue? You really <laughs> asked that? I did. Oh, wow. That's because although I'm an excellent cook of side dishes and desserts, I'm not that good with meat and especially barbecued meat. Huh. But I love it. Mm -hmm. He said so. He said yes. So I snatched him up for my next cookout. <laughs> You're coming over to cook meat in my house. In that it's approaching good barbecuing weather, I thought it might be good to discuss BBQ word wise. Okay. So let's start with the word barbecue. Barbecue commonly refers to both the actual food and the style of preparation. Meat that has been smoked for a long time at a low temperature with heat that radiates from hard wood. Right. You may notice that I avoided using the word grilled. Oh, right, because, yeah, this is a square rectangle thing, right? Not all barbecue yeah, is grilled. Yeah. And, or, well, I don't know. It, it's some but not all grilled food is barbecued food. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. It says many ardent barbecuers insist that it never refers to the act of cooking just any meat over open sure, flame. Sure, sure. Word Genius says, wordgenius.com says, don't invite a Southerner to a barbecue and then serve him a hamburger. That You're grilling out at that uh, point. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Invite yeah. him to grill out. Okay, Kyle, I know you have dogs, uh, but relevant to this discussion, what does bark mean? Um, Is that the, the a slang for the wood you use, like the chips or mm -hmm. the wood? No, I don't mm -hmm. know. You though. must not watch a lot of barbecue things on Food Network. Because that's all they talk about is bark. No, I do not. <laughs> uh, bark is a good thing for barbecue, as it is for trees. It's the delicacy of the crispy, fatty bark pieces of smoked brisket. In other words, the the kind of hardened outside of oh, the barbecue. Like, like uh, char isn't the right word, yeah, but the kind. sort of... Yeah, it the, thickens. and Yeah, mm -hmm. the characteristic of the outside. Mm -hmm. And it's very seasoned because that's where the rub so goes. So you want a good bark yeah, on it. Right. Oh, is it's that all, one of the things the judges say this has a very uh, good bark? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Right. It's also known as meat candy. <laughs> I like bark better. <laughs> What's a pit, Kyle? Well, that's the physical place where you conduct said barbecue, where right? Where you cook barbecue, right. Mm. From the homemade above-ground pit where a constant source of fire is stoked to create smoke, or it can be as fancy as a several-thousand-dollar ceramic smoker. 
One of my favorite memories is being in Baltimore, Maryland, and a neighborhood that put together a, a pit for a roasting a pig. Oh, and yeah. And attended all night. And, yeah. Well, Flip Putoff, whom you know, yeah. uh, for Out, years. Outdoors rider. Yeah, yeah. Had, he had a, a annual pig pig roast, mm-hmm. and they would put a pig in, in the ground. Yeah. For, you, or, the I guess it was foil. on a spit over yeah, there. Yeah, you do mm-hmm. the but but I guess you've got to. I mean, it doesn't happen in an hour. Oh, it was a. They and, started on Thursday for right. the Saturday. Right. Uh, pig out. I see roasting a pig as a great reason to drink beer oh, and yeah. watch other people oh, do yeah. whatever they're doing. You bet. Yeah. Um, okay. Now tread carefully here, Kyle. Mm-hmm. What is barbecue sauce? Uh oh. <laughs> Mm, I don't know how I can get in trouble with. Uh, so it's not like something you buy at the store, I'm guessing. Well, yeah, I don't know that it has to do with regions. Oh, yeah. like Memphis has a certain mm-hmm. sauce, and Kansas City has, mm-hmm. and Texas. Right. I got gotcha. you. Barbecue sauce differs by region, even varying wildly within the same state. So, are we talking like one might be vinegar based, or one yeah. might be? For instance, Eastern North Carolina sauce is traditionally vinegar based and mm-hmm. applied liberally throughout the smoking process, whereas in the western portion of the state, you find a tomato-based sauce called Lexington or Piedmont. So, you know, same state, and they do yeah. it differently. In Texas, they apply a glaze-like sauce with a mop mm-hmm. during cooking. It's appropriately called mop sauce. Yeah, yeah. People in Alabama, meanwhile, love to coat chicken with a mayonnaise and vinegar condiment. Now, oh, I think I'd like to taste that. I don't it's think good. I've tasted Oh, is it good? I had some at, I think the restaurant's called Dreamland. It uh-huh. was really good. Uh-huh. And that tomato and molasses-based dark red sauce that most of the rest of the country calls barbecue sauce is technically a Kansas City sauce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite sauce? No, it sounds like you like them all. They're, they're, I have not met a sauce I didn't like yet. <laughs> How do you spell barbecue? How do I personally spell it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> BBQ. Um, yeah. B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. The origins of the oh, word. Good. I was hoping we'd get here. <laughs> the origins of the word barbecue can be traced back to mid-17th century to the Taino language spoken by the our, Arawakan Indians. Mm. They had wooden frames known as barbacola, not cola, barbacoa. Okay. And we, I've started seeing barbacoa on menus lately. Oh, okay. On which they stored food and, more importantly, dried meat over a fire. The word barbacoa was thought to be borrowed by Spanish explorers and eventually made its way to the modern English language, likely with some French influence, which is how the two spellings barbecue C and barbecue Q came about. Okay, Kyle, from uh, Mm burningbrisket.com, which appears to be a site for competitive barbecuers. Okay. I found a glossary of probably 100 barbecue terms. I'm not going to ask you about 100 of them, but I'm going to quiz you with a few. Okay. Do you know what armadillo eggs are? Jalapenos with cream cheese, and they are fantastic. And this says, covered in a thick layer of sausage meat, then smoked. Okay. Now, that would that would kick it up, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had one like that. It, unfortunately, the passing years have made me jalapeno... Uh, Resistant? Sens- yeah, sensitive, sensitive, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, are you familiar with beer can chicken? Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> it doesn't really involve putting a can of beer in a chicken. It to- does. Well, how does it not blow up? I don't want to... Well, want- it's open. You open it. So I don't know why it would blow so, up. So the idea is the beer is seeping into the chicken? It's uh, steaming, steaming into the chicken. Uh, it's also known as beer butt chicken. It's a popular way to grill chicken where an open can of beer is placed inside the cavity. The idea is that the beer steams to flavor the meat and keep it moist, but many claim that it's just a waste of good beer. I was about to say, <laughs> I can have chicken. I love fried chicken's one of my favorite foods. Uh-huh. Beer is, you know, I have a wonderful relationship with it. <laughs> I just have them together. Uh-huh. Why risk yeah. calamity? Yeah. Well, you know, there's some beers that are bad enough. That That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, now this sounds like a related term, but it really isn't. What does beer safe mean? Hmm. I think, I'm going to guess, this is the sort of barbecuing that I do. Like, I have to pay so little attention that I can concentrate more on drinking my <laughs> exactly beer. Exactly yeah, right. I like that. It's a recipe that's easy enough to cook while drinking beer. <laughs> I like it. 
I like it. <laughs> what do you think the slang term bottle of red refers to? Well, it's not wine, right? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Is it barbecue sauce? That's what I would have guessed. It's slang for ketchup. I don't know All why. Right. Of course, ketchup is redder than barbecue. Red, True. You know, or, True. Well, barbecue is darker red. Yes. You might know this one from your in-laws. What is burgoo? Burgoo? I don't know. Your in-laws are from Kentucky, aren't they, or not? Well, they live in Kentucky. They're not well, from oh, Kentucky. Oh, okay. It's a Kentucky classic stew that's cooked in a cast iron pot over an open flame. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Sounds interesting. Yeah. I bet you can figure this one out, Kyle. What's a Dalmatian rub? Something black and white. What's what black and white that you might rub salt on meat? Salt and pepper. That's it. Bingo. It's a dry seasoning consisting solely of salt and, pe- salt and black pepper. Now, since you amazed me with your knowledge of New Orleans once, uh-huh. I know you'll know this one. What's the Holy, Holy Trinity? Holy Trinity. I knew you were <laughs> So it's onions, bell peppers. Uh-huh. Celery, That's yes. Right. Oh, it's so good. You wouldn't think that it could have so much flavor. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Um, and I clearly don't know enough about barbecuing to know why it's listed in this glossary. I, I guess there are sauces that you make sure, that you start guess, with the yeah. tr- Holy Trinity. But here's another one for you. What's a Texas Trinity? Hmm. Texas Trinity, I'm going to guess it's, uh, so is it food? Yep. Uh, but a... Very different kind of food from the uh, Holy Trinity. What if it was pork, <laughs> <You> got, beef, <laughs> yeah. and fowl? I don't know. B- brisket, pork ribs, and sausage. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Here's a Memphis tradition I never heard of before. What does Mr. Brown goes to town mean? I don't know. I don't need any either. It's when Memphis cooks... Put crunchy pieces of pork, Mr. Brown, inside pork sandwiches. I'm for it. Mm -hmm. I'm for it. And Mrs. White. Mayonnaise? No, it's it's meat. What meat do you think it might Uh, be? Then it would be maybe chicken? Could be, yeah, but it's pork. Mm -hmm. Pork. The pale and moist inside pieces of whole smoked pork. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, what's a pig on a stick? Think about it. I want to say a corn dog, but that doesn't no, work no, with barbecue. No. Pig on a stick. A rib? Yeah. Because okay. it's got the stick with yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now that you know all these, Kyle, I'll expect an invitation to your house for grilling. I mean, barbecue. Catherine Charles <laughs> is our militant grammarian. The next Live at Turnbow concert in downtown Springdale is Thursday night with Jukebox Confession. Free outdoor music starts at 6.30 at Turnbow Park. If there's rain, fingers crossed, the concert would move to Sunday night at 6.30. Congratulations to Fort Smith Sportsman for capturing the 2022 Arkansas AAA American Legion Baseball State Championship last night in Conway. Fort Smith defeated Paragould 8-7 to to claim the crown. Tomorrow on Ozarks, a dry summer has had an effect on drinking water, but so does sustained growth. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope continues her reporting on how growth affects Northwest Arkansas. That's tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF 91.3. You can also listen to our show by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Prairie Grove. Contributors to our show this Tuesday included Jacqueline Froelich and our militant grammarian, Catherine Sherlds. Matthew Moore once again, once again produced the show inside Studio 120. Our theme written and performed by, by Daryl Sean. Our underwriting director at KUAF is Ryan Versi. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks for being with us. Have a great rest of your day.